You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? You are listening to the Good Pop Culture Club episode 179. My name is Marvin Yue and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. Welcome back to the once and future professional Asian American, Just Ju. Hey Marvin. Oh, it's January and I'm already tired. We're Still almost January. the end of January. Wow. It's I saw someone one week. on Twitter. Oh God, someone on Twitter was like, January, make sure... You feel all 31 days, and I'm feeling all 31 days. <laughs> yeah, I want to redo. Like, I, I I, don't think this January should count. I know. I felt like I just didn't do anything at all, <laughs> which is weird because I did a lot of stuff this month. Mm-hmm. But did anything? Did any of it move the needle? Yeah, I felt like everything was rolling back. Like, I was running in place. Um, but you know what? Look. Uh, John Stewart went back to The Daily Show. I think everything is referring to like the early 2000s. <laughs> like everything feels like weird right now. So. That's well, true. someone said that the this 2024, which is like already a bad omen because it's 2024, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. an election year. Mm-hmm. And they were saying how this is the 2016 of this decade. And 2016 was bad, y'all. Yeah, That was my was monkey bad. year. That was like the Zodiac mm. year where I was supposed to be wearing red all the time. I did yeah. not plagued, plagued with misfortune. Mm. So maybe, I don't know. Should we all start wearing red underwear just in case? Uh, sure. That should just be how we live our lives, right? I was about to say, aren't we supposed to, in general, but also starting now through, you know, May? Just in general, like is it like the first lunar new year thing I have is like this coming Saturday. So, well, yeah, because if you can't get the actual weekend, you might as well get the weekend before it, right? Yeah, any any of the weekends around like the six weeks, right? (laughs) I mean, technically it's two, um, but (laughs) yes, I I feel like you know we 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 are allowed like the two before the two (laughs) of the actual yes. And then the two festival, weeks. yeah, and then and then how many weeks until like, you know, Asian month, right? So we get a little break, May. and then it's yeah. Asian month, yeah. <laughs> but then the month before Asian month is when everyone starts scrambling because they're like, oh no, it's Asian month, yeah, yeah. We need to talk to the Asians, yeah. It's, Time to get on those panels, make that the, speaker money. It's the year of the dragon. Do you, does anyone know a dragon? I don't think I do. My sister is a dragon. Mm. Um, so yeah, she got she got to start wearing that red. You know, honestly, she should just she's so bougie. She should just trade out her uh, like her Cartier bracelet for like the red string. I'm like, <laughs> you're fine, you're fine. <laughs> okay, see there you. Which go. is also a very um, Chinese sentence. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Before I forget, also joining us, the most professional culture editors, Han Win. Hey, hey <laughs> yes, I was the one who was talking about just John Stewart randomly. So. And then New Year. <laughs> um, I know a lot of dragons, but they're all like a generation after me. Uh, because as we uh, all know, especially in like Asian areas, um, the year of dragons when um, high school classes get like 50% bigger. Like 25%. Yeah, 25 <laughs> to 50% bigger. It's insane. Mm. But it's like, I feel like it's isn't it like the equivalent of everyone having like Leo babies. Like. Dragons are like known to be like the headstrong ones, right? Like the brats. I I actually don't know. I, I'm thinking about it. And I don't know if I have any dragons in my family. They're like very ambitious, and mm. they're supposed to be like good and biz- they're supposed to be like successful. I think <laughs> that's not <laughs> what I thought you were going to say when you said good and bu- <laughs> good and business. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, well, that's know. disappointing. <laughs> the business. They are, I'm Googling this, they are charismatic, intelligent, confident, powerful, and naturally lucky and gifted. They sound annoying. Yeah. (laughs) They kind of are. I'm not going to lie. A little bit, a little bit. Anyway, uh, apologies sorry, not a dragon. So, sorry, not sorry to all the dragons out there, but you know who you are. You know what you, you know are. You know what? It's fine. They're crying and they're like pile of money. It's fine. Exactly. Yeah. You can get your hoard. <laughs> Well, in addition to Lunar New Year season, it is also Oscar season. Um, the nominations <laughs> just came out this past Tuesday. Um, you know, we'll talk about it. In, we'll talk length. about it next week. At next week, do we yeah. want this? But it's hard to say whether or not progress has been sustained in the business. But um, on the bright side, 
now we know what we need to watch between now yes. and March. And we're mm-hmm. going gonna to get started this week um, by watching one of the films that's being nominated for Best Picture. Um, it got like five nominations, right? Yeah. The film is American Fiction. And man, this film really spoke to me. I really... I can't wait to talk about it with y'all. <laughs> I was like... I wish we had time to watch it all together because, man, Mm -hmm. if there was ever a movie made by people working in or adjacent to the culture industry, Mm -hmm. it's this one. Mm -hmm. And specifically in like DEI culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to have a little fun conversation. (laughs) But before we get to that, um, let's find out what pop culture is speaking us through this week. Uh, Let's start with you, Jess. What's popping? So I was... Basically, you know how my husband like basically force feeds me games when he thinks I'm not doing well mentally <laughs> or I have too much time on my hands. Sure. So he like sat me down, put this Xbox controller in my hand and introduced me to this game called Unpacking. It's not a new game. It's available on like every single platform like Switch, Stream, PC. So just Google it. It is a puzzle video game developed by Witchbeam, a like indie Australian company or game developer and it is a you unpack it's that's quite the construct of the game and it's just really ironic because i think i've said it i've said this a lot in my real life i don't know if i've ever said it on this podcast but there's like few things i hate more than moving um the packing and unpacking but it's really fun when you don't physically have to do it and it's a game so you essentially get you follow it's the same character a a young woman or you know a woman and you follow her through girlhood and then through like college her first place and different milestones there's no dialogue there's no words you just unpack her stuff in these different living situations and you kind of get the sense of the story very simple very effective i won't spoil it there's some fun little easter eggs I did kind of call it like a few, there's like eight rooms in this game. So it doesn't take too long to play through. But I did make a prediction that what did come true. And um, the level of detail is pretty amazing. There are like right places to put the items, but mm. it's not like you have to. There is some flexibility. But for instance, you can't they don't let you put like a like a dish in the bathroom or you can't put like your computer in the kitchen. Um, so there's like a general like place for everything. <laughs> they were wrong up for that. <laughs> <laughs> but the attention to detail again, insane. There's like very specific sounds. And I Googled this. Apparently they made like, or they like recorded like 14,000 different Foley sounds for this game because everything is like very specific to the, to what it's being set down on and what the mm-hmm. item is. So like, if you're putting like, a plushie on the floor mm-hmm. it'll sound like you're putting a plushie on the floor and it sounds different when you put the plushie on the table or if you have a cup you know it sounds different from when you put it on like a tile versus when you put it on the wooden table versus the ceramic sink so it's like that's that's very cool um there's there there is a frustrating aspect because not everything fits mm. all the time which i'm like ma'am you need to throw some shit away <laughs> i'm sorry you keep collecting chickens this woman likes to collect things and i'm just like please wow do you really move these she like moves a panini press over multiple apartments i was like how much do you how many paninis do you eat Ooh. but um you know It's really fun, very zen, very relaxing. Would definitely recommend. It's called Unpacking. Yeah, that sounds like fun. I've been looking for some more chill games to to pass. Oh, you would love this one. You would love this one. Yeah, and you can like you know you just kind of zone out. But again, it's it's ironic that something that is so unfun in real life, aka cleaning, tidying, is so fun in this form. I kind of thought you were talking about another game that I know is out there called Moving Out, which is, I think, mm. a one of those um, like overcooked type cooperative games where you're like carrying couches around obstacles with a friend. Oh, no, 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 no. That sounds very that sounds like that sounds like a divorce waiting to happen. <laughs> overcooked is well. already a little dicey sometimes. <laughs> well. <laughs> 
<laughs> we should definitely try to play like three player overcooked one of these days when we when we eventually do our um good pop retreat somewhere and just chill. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, good pop is canceled. No more episodes. Bye. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Han, what's popping with you? Uh okay. So, you know, even though I have tons of stuff to watch. From the Oscars to press tour, that's looming. Um, I, of course, am watching uh, foreign things that will have no bearing on my job. Uh, Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I get um, it. Yeah. uh, There's actually been a trio of uh, food-related Japanese things besides Jess's anime that she talked about last week. But Fermat's Cuisine is also on Netflix. It is a Japanese uh, drama where the main character, Gaku, um, he just his dream is to be a mathematician. Um, And but by the time he starts taking the um, uh, the placements and all this other stuff in order to get to University of Tokyo or Tokyo U, whichever it is, um, he all of a sudden, because his his mathematician's brain kind of works really well, sees that he's not going to achieve the height that he wants in the future. And so he quits. Um, however, you know, his part-time job is, you know, cooking. So uh, he gets discovered by a highfalutin chef named uh, Kai Asakura. And um, he is really, really snotty chef. He has a Michelin star. He wants to basically define cuisine as pre him and post him. So, uh, so everyone is super, super, super extra in this, which is fantastic. Um, So Gaku actually is sort of a genius when it comes to the kitchen because he applies a lot of his mathematical skills, um, not just numbers, but sort of like theory of like probability and all this other stuff. He naturally understands how to, you know, use the Maillard effect to uh, brown things and extract the flavors just the right time just the right temperature, all this, all this wonderful bullshit stuff. Um, and so every episode is actually, I've only gotten through a few because they're very stressful. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> because like the cooking is fine. It's just the there's like a lot of drama around it because um, one, you know, his dad is wanting him to be, you know, get into university because that's, you know, his mom died. There's a whole thing, you know, there's a path. Of course, of course. Um, Dad ends up being a super, super sweet, nice guy. So um, but then but then once he gets to the, you know, the kitchen, then every member of the staff is super snotty from all around the world. And they won't even deign to, you know, acknowledge him because he has to prove himself first. So there's like this whole thing plot where he has to like cook something where they like approve his uh his lunch and he doesn't understand exactly why things aren't working because you know hey if you like my food why won't you give me a passing grade so there's all of this shit going on um and then there are also the flash forwards at the end of every episode that shows that one year hence he gets to be an asshole Uh, So you're just like, how did he get to be from this really sweet, earnest, you know, guy to this asshole? And then how is he going to come back? So that's the thing. It's where it's like when I talk about people being extra, there is a weird random other character who eats without a shirt so he can like wipe sauces off his chest versus getting his clothes dirty. There's this it's it's just so ridiculous. Of course, it's based on a manga. Um, Yeah. but uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. The lead um, guy, Fumia Takahashi, he was also the lead in another Netflix uh, series called I Will Be Your Bloom, which is based on a Japanese boy band that, you know, is a loser boy band and how they climb their way up. That's very inspiring and sweet and talks, people talk about their feelings. This is kind of the opposite of that. Um, but he's still like just he's such a great lead in either you know form. Um, so I would recommend both. But yeah, this one's kind of what I'm getting into now, but I can only watch about like an episode a day and then just be like, all right, I got to recover from that one. (laughs) Okay, this is exactly how Marvin talks about the bear. He's like, it's so stressful. Bear is very <laughs> stressful. Um, but it's also but it's beautiful. It's so good, Jess. Yeah. You need to watch it. Second season is I will so probably super good. Start soon. Yes, okay, I'll start soon. So <laughs> what I will say about for for Matt's cuisine is maybe not as sweet and amazing as the bear, but because, you know, 
Japanese filming and all this other stuff. Um, there, the fine dining plating and all that shit is very good. <laughs> um, I I would love to have just eaten whatever they decided to make me on this set, whether or not um, uh, it was real or real food or not. But um, yeah, so it's very very enjoyable. There are times, you know, where they they talk about just like comfort food too. Um, but yeah, um, I, I definitely recommend it if you like food shows because I think something that I find frustrating about K dramas is that they often will introduce a plot or a character that is about food and then the food just goes away and then they care about romance. And I'm like, no, you know, you need to deliver me the food plot as emotional growth, you know? Um, and they definitely are doing that here. That's great. I'm glad that is speaking to you as a fellow culinary entertainment enjoyer that yes. is like pushing those buttons. I think that's, that's important for me too. Um, mm-hmm. Another reason why the bear is so good because it, it's great. It's drama plus cool food stuff too. Mm-hmm. They they understand that food is part of the human condition, and so that's why when things are extra uh, about the food here, I appreciate it because I am extra about the things I like too. So yeah, <laughs> all good. Um, so Marvin, let's pop in with you. Well, I spent the weekend, as we all know, at the Sundance Film Festival, um, helping produce a couple of events. And Park City, not really known for its good food, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> but because of that, I actually didn't have time to watch anything. And I actually didn't have the opportunity to see anything at the festival, neither. Um, obviously, I did, wasn't able to pre-purchase any tickets because I didn't know when I would be needed at you know all the events that I was working at. And the films that I did want to see, I didn't get in the wait list. I did get a pretty good spot on for Love Me, uh, which is the Stephen Yeun, Kirsten Stewart, um, mm. inanimate object love romance film. Um, but I had to give up that spot because I got called in to work. Ah, so <laughs> uh, You'll just have to wait. Yeah, so but I'm sure I'm sure we'll watch it at some point. Um, I don't know if any of the movies got picked up by anyone yet, but the the big Asian American film this year is Didi um, by Sean Wang, uh, which is like a middle school coming of age story of a Taiwanese boy, younger brother that takes place, I think, in the in the mid two thousands. Um, I heard it's really good. I heard it's very you know you know how middle school coming of age is always super cringe, but you know the good cringe. Mm-hmm. I hear there's a lot of good cringe in this one. Which is yeah, and congrats to Sean Wang for being an Oscar nominee. His documentary short is uh, one of the five films Yay. nominated. The yes. one, the very cute one about his grandmas, Nai Nai, <laughs> and I don't know how to say that. White boy Nai Nai. Is his thing yeah. just making films named after like family members? Because yeah, White boy Nai Nai, and now Didi. Yeah, so I'm his sequel could be like Jie Jie or something. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not too worried about that one because I'm sure at some point I'll, I'll either get a screener or we'll be invited to some like preview screening because, um, you know, it's this year's Sundance film. So obviously, um, hopefully it'll get picked up and we'll be able to see on the big screen. If not, probably a f- Asian film festival here or there. Yep, May's just around the corner. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but um, I did get to attend the Sunrise House in Sundance, which this is their second year. This is the um, the Asian House, quote unquote Asian House, um, co-hosted by uh, the Asian American Foundation, um, 3AM, which is Daniel Day Kim's production company, and Gold House. And I got to say, I was really impressed. They ran a pretty good event. Um, I heard it was way more organized this year. Um it was like three days of programming. Like I couldn't even imagine doing that much programming at Sundance for three whole days. Yeah. But, you know, I guess they're also very well funded, which is a, 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 a huge help, right? To be able to hire, you know, professionals to run your mm-hmm. event. Or even just being able to afford like, you know, standard catering during Sundance um, on Main Street or in Park City is insane. Like they just start, which I understand, get, get your money. But um, yeah, the prices yeah. are crazy during the, the festival and i'm envious because i i'm i'm the one person who hasn't been slim yet we, <laughs> we should go one year as just like attendees yeah we, no exactly not to work we just need to um or i'll write something. get our numbers up a little bit so we can apply as pr- working press that way we at least oh. get the press badges so we can get free P&I screenings, the press and industry screenings. Um, and all we need to do is just record a podcast there. And that'll be our, that'll be our oh, okay. That, I'm down. That, what? That's actually easy enough to do. I've definitely <laughs> just gotten press passes for stuff. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say Sundance, not my favorite film festival. Which that is? One is? 
Tiff. I, I like Tiff mm. a lot more. I can. Um, I've been there. Okay. Yeah, Toronto oh, yeah. is a film festival where you can actually watch things and get around. Um, yeah. Sundance is kind of a miserable experience. Um, if yeah. it wasn't for the entire industry being there, there's there's really no it, reason. It's, it's it's like a bonding experience, I think, because of yeah. the misery. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Yeah, and then um, so I helped run this year's Asian Pacific Filmmakers Experience, which is like the longest running like Asian event at the Sundance Film Festival, and we had a pretty good um, party. We 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 threw a twentieth edition reception on Sunday night. We were up against like other industry parties, including HBO, and we were at capacity the entire night. So mm. um, never underestimate the power of just like wanting to be amongst your community. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of cool to see everyone there and having fun. So. Yeah. Okay, now most important question. How was the food? Did you get fed? Did you have to subsist on carrot sticks? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, our event got catered by Pretty Bird, which is a local like national hot chicken sandwich restaurant owned by a Vietnamese American. Oh, um, that's so, awesome. You know, supporting it. Asian American businesses. Um, and so we had a ton of leftover chicken strips. So I'll kind of after the event for the next like two days, I was just eating hot chicken strips. <laughs> I would have just taken that to go. Yeah, I, I hoard just extra chicken strips. That yeah. sounds great. I'll look them up. Uh, but yeah, that was that was kind of my all-consuming week. So didn't get to watch anything, unfortunately. So I can't tell you whether or not the movies are good. I've heard good things. I heard DD is pretty good. And I heard Love Me is um, interesting, which can go either way, to be honest. But I'm curious. Um, because that that the um the the premise seems a little unhinged, which I like <laughs> in my indie movies. Um, I like movies that go for it. Um, and I guess on that note, we're gonna talk about a film that really goes for it for a feature <laughs> discussion this week. So yeah, we're gonna take a quick break, and we, when we come back, we're talking about American fiction. Stick around. I'm Charlene Kay. I'm a musician, songwriter, and guitarist. Growing up, I loved music. Whether it was pop, acoustic, emo, I ate it all up. But as a Chinese-American kid living in Scottsdale, Arizona, I also felt isolated, never really seeing artists who looked like me or shared my experiences. So after years of performing on stages all over the world, I wanted to create a space to highlight the amazing Asian musicians who I knew were out there, just not always getting played on the radio. That's why I started Golden Hour, a podcast where Asian singers, songwriters, instrumentalists, and music producers share their personal stories, and it's a space for you to discover your new favorite artist. Listen to Golden Hour with me, Charlene Kay, wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Hey, Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Ramen. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes. Quarantine Comics, the weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild-mannered Ramen Sutton, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki. From Maracas to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Lun Yang. You might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading. Or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff. They could just read the books with us, right? Yes, they could do that, but you could also just send us money. No, Ryan, that's not how passion podcast projects work. Why in the hell are we even doing this? Uh, I'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode. <clears throat> so, tune in each week to Quarantine Comics at qtdcomics.com set phasers to fun. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. On this episode, we're talking about the new comedy drama, American Fiction, written and directed by Cor Jefferson and starring Jeffrey Wright as a, um, I guess, highfalutin author and professor of literature who takes a break to take care of his family and being frustrated that he can't publish his book, writes a very stereotypical black book um, as a joke, and it ends up getting super popular. 
Um, <laughs> the the film also stars Tracy Ellis Ross, Issa Rae, Sterling K. Brown, um, John Ortiz, and Eric Alexander, um, including cameos by both Keith David and Adam Brody, which I did not recognize him until his hair was like, great. We'll too. get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> um, the film is nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Picture. So um, I guess to start off, what do we think of American fiction? I really dug it. I mean, I kind of was predisposed to, but you never know. Sometimes you get disappointed. Um, I think, honestly, as someone, we will probably all be saying similar things, but as someone who needs to sort of navigate putting enough Asianness out there without also driving away the whiteies um, <laughs> and, 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 but also not trying to compromise, you know, uh, whatever your voice or the message or whatever it is that you want to do. Um, it's, it's tough. And I haven't even written fiction yet, although that's like still kind of like on my to-do list. So I can, can't imagine like just how stressful it would be. And also just to see someone else do you know, doing something like uh, that's stereotypical that you feel like it's setting you back. Um, and then, you know, while you're struggling, trying to be, you know, have your integrity and keep having to try to keep your integrity and having your integrity to try to keep you warm. Like that just it doesn't do it. Um, but, yeah, it was, I think, pretty damn smart. The uh, performances were fantastic. So I really enjoyed it. I think it went pretty fast for two hours. Yes, I also, again, really enjoyed it. As I mentioned before, this movie seems like a, you know, as a theme, it has a storyline I think is very relevant and like hits home for the three of us. I felt very seen because it's not just about art and, you know, what is art versus like selling out, but in the context of like rep sweats, right? Like that's a very specific thing we've all dealt with. We've talked about it in this podcast. Um, I just not gonna lie i didn't expect it to be this kind of movie i don't know what i think maybe like my brain or the 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 the, the like blockbuster vitriol i've been watching lately like made me forget <laughs> that they make movies for adults not adult <laughs> movies but movies for adults so <laughs> i actually different. wasn't ex i wasn't expecting this so there was a, like a level of like you know level resetting i needed to I needed to, you know, do while watching this movie. But after, you know, I walked away with it just away from the film, just like so like unsettled in the best way. Like I just had to think about it and what I just watched, which is more than I can say for a lot of the things I've watched <laughs> recently. Right. Like you're like, oh, that was fun enough. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that was entertaining. And I was like, oh, whatever. And like, it just like leaves you. And I was like, oh, like he made some interesting choices or like, why did he do that? Or like, did I think, you know, this device worked in this movie? And like, so I, I thought overall just a very, I think it did what it set out to do. I don't know Court Jefferson, but you know, he's a very, his, his track record is amazing. Like he's only worked on some of the best shows. I mean, he the good comes place, the Watchmen, like he's had some, really great credits yeah yeah so it's it's just been pretty interesting he he is obviously is someone who spends a lot of time thinking of these things as we do um and and i think he was he wrote something or he conceptualized something that got this murderer's row of actors together which i think is probably the Oh, you know, beyond the theme, just like the shiniest part, the shiniest beacon of this pro this whole movie, which is like we get Jeffrey Wright as the lead, right? Jeffrey Wright's always fantastic. He gets to be the lead. Um, Sterling K. Brown is always wonderful. He <laughs> He's got so great. Bo and both of them got nominated, right, Yay. for their roles. Um, but even folks like you know, like Issa Rae and mm -hmm. um, Adam Brody, great cameo, uh, and you know. Just just like looking at the credits of some of these actors, you're like, oh, my God, like everyone has like a Tony or like, you know, mm -hmm. has like amazing. Red. And I think they all work really well against each other to create this very lived in family dynamic, which is something, again, you don't see. And it's I, and I'm sure he did this deliberately. I wonder if Core Jefferson has like a background in 
like theater because his you know half of the movie or more than half of the movie is very like seaside fan fucked up family drama right and that's like the <laughs> whitest one of the whitest forms of you know american theater and i like how he uses that to tell his story oh yeah yeah <laughs> i definitely was surprised so i i knew that this was a film about diversity in media right like i knew that was kind of one central themes i didn't see any trailers before going in but i was surprised by how much like this film spoke to me as someone who's worked in these spaces Mm -hmm. for like the last decade or so and you know it starts off it starts off as like a sad man film right and (laughs) we've seen a lot of those i'm actually a little tired of seeing sad Mm -hmm, man films mm -hmm. but the moment that he goes to that book festival i was like oh this is what they're trying to do yeah and it really reminded me of and i have not like finished the book yet but um rf kwan's yellow face which is Mm -hmm. another book that kind of takes a stab at diversity and representation in like publishing and how the publishing industry treats diversity and there's definitely like a meta layer too like this film is very meta right because it's it's a film about entertainment it's a film about publishing and how the entertainment industry treats diversity um and a lot of lines just made me laugh out loud because like like this film is really funny is the thing right like the jokes i don't know if it hits more because i'm familiar with like the dynamics of this industry but like there's the visual gag of like someone saying we need to listen to black voices after yes, ignoring you, you've black been voices. outvoted you've been outvoted <laughs> mm-hmm. um so we're you know the three white judges are like you've been outvoted um it's really important we listen to black voices they say to the two black people in the room yeah it's great <laughs> yes yes I, um yeah. you know my theater laughed i think at the mm-hmm. right places i laughed i think in random places that just like <laughs> spoke out to me there's there's some really great um there's 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 a really great like dichotomy of you know when he's trying to be the staggerly character and and but you know in his heart he is a bougie you know mm-hmm. wine drinker so he has to order like a very Chablis. like high class <laughs> you know yeah he's order Chablis like as a gangster that's great um there's some really great Boston specific jokes which um i enjoy so like how white is she she was she like boston brahmin or like southy white um you know that made me like like crack up uh, i don't know if anyone else got that joke i feel like la is san gabriel valley specifically very removed from like boston culture yeah. um no i think the i think core jefferson does comedy great i think they were really funny my my question was was it too jarring to swing from like some of the more like broad comedy comic strokes uh like you know when he's watching the the black history month special and it's just like (laughs) people getting you know it's just a compilation of like black people getting shot or like slaves or you know and or plantation working you know is, is that to swing from that to like very grounded you know, family drama where he's just having like a conference where it's just like a talking head scene, you know, between him and his brother or him and his girlfriend. Like, it, what, did you guys find that a little jarring? I, cause I, there are some places I felt a little bit, I was like, oh, this is just, this kind of feels like two movies. I didn't, but I do understand what you mean by the two movies. So I didn't find it jarring. I just felt like maybe they went together differently for me. So, um, but yeah, I can see how you might find them incongruous i mean i I feel like the satire bits were definitely like uh, more than on the nose right like almost heightened a bit and definitely that that scene where they showed the the history channel um black history month thing was it did it seemed like it was i i I get what you mean by like it seemed like it was from a different movie it seemed like it was from like a comedy comedy and not like a comedy dramedy right yes and Mm -hmm. and i think because some of those like dramatic scenes are just so subtle like he does a really deft job of like not over explaining of not like getting too like drama you know like you know there's a tendency for some of these like sad man sad family movies to get like very very actory right like louder is better or i am acting and like jeffrey wright never takes it there none of the characters really ever take it there and i mean i mean sterling king brown like plays very i think successfully on that line i mean i will say that 
at least the the jarringness is consistent. Like all of the white people in this film are ridiculous to a ridiculous degree. They're right? great. Like, like what, you say that, but they're like less. Like I feel like there are people, and I've met people who do yeah. sound like that, especially yeah, no. in entertainment, right? <laughs> like the salespeople, the marketing people. Like there are people who do talk like that. Yeah. When I think they're ridiculous, it's not because it's not real. I think it's ridiculous because they are owning it. Like it's it's so great to see. Like. Adam Brody is one of my favorite characters in this because not only he does he say the worst things, um, but he says it so convincingly. And then he also has this weird, almost like a mullet hair going on. Um, but he totally uh, has that like producer speak, that Hollywood producer speak down um, where it's like trotting out a lot of like empty phrases mm-hmm. um, and and trying to make things sound like art um and enthusiastic uh yeah it, I, I i could totally see a guy like that on set it's just uh and, and then publishing oh my gosh miriam shore who i love from younger she is one of the publishing execs who is constantly trying to uh respect stag r lee but also like encourage you know, like what all of his choices and and i love how that they just very very uh just kind of casually accept that he is an uh an escaped convict so that's why they can't meet him <laughs> so just, like, <laughs> never question that at once no 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 because you know it's it's real that's where the realness comes from <laughs> so i mean yeah. they did make a really good joke about that being publishing doesn't make there's no budget for background checks so we're good <laughs> oh yeah that um, was i did a fantastic love the joke. um the agent character played by arthur um, arthur was great yeah, by john oh, ortiz yeah. Who is just like we've been on record on on this on this podcast saying like you know even if the thing you're in isn't good, if you're getting tons of money for it, like all power to you, like get, yes. get that money right. Yes, never. I'm never gonna you know for most like nine times out of ten, I'm not I'm not gonna ding someone for trying to get to make a living right. And I thought his Johnny Walker speech, which I'm like, I hope Johnny Walker paid you for that. Um, you know, endorsement. That was a great <laughs> metaphor for like the great. state of like, for lack of a better word, like, like minority entertain, like, yep. um, minority entertainment. Like, I feel like that's every single like minority underrepresented, group, yeah, or has, marginalized has this dilemma, which is like we want to make blue label, but they only let us be red label. But mm-hmm. red label yes. is what sells. Yeah. So yeah, I thought, and and he was. Again, like none of these, like all these characters could have very easily been like unlikable. They all have their like flaws, right? But I do think they're also charmingly played. Mm -hmm. Like Arthur could have very been like the pushy agent Mm -hmm. that, you know, that that was just out to make a buck. But, you you know, you can tell they have like a relationship and he is looking out for um Thelonious's well-being um but also maybe like not really considering the effect of what it means to be like have to like basically pander um because and then even Issa I love Issa Rae's character right yeah, like great. she yeah. could have so easily been like a caricature or just like a but but she you know when he interacts with her like they both have very valid points mm-hmm. and she kind of calls him out on like on on some of his own like you know prejudices and stereotypes mm-hmm. and uh she she makes a point um just just also like can we talk about how well designed all the books are yes. in terms of like yeah. how they look like real books like mm-hmm. like just the art covers or the uh the like like how everything kind of looks you know there was like that period of time in pu- publishing we're still kind of in it where like everything looked like just had like loud block print so like when you're they're interacting with their books and like the different covers, you're like, oh my god, that looks like that looks like a book. Like <laughs> that would be on sale. Like that looks like that kind of book. Mm-hmm. And so hers is her book is called Weez Lives in the Ghetto. <laughs> yes. And it has like the image of like the shoes hanging, like the the cartoon mm-hmm. illustrated like shoes hanging. I'm like, oh my god, that is a hundred percent a book I would see on the shelf right now. So props out to the art direction team. I think yeah. the publishing aspect was so good in this film, like from the behind the scenes, but yes, to the art um, creation and props. Uh, and I do see how 
like this film really is two movies, right? You have the publishing side, which is like kind of skewering, satirizing the publishing industry and the family drama side. And the thing is like, I wish we had more of either side, but then we would have, we, we would end up with like a three hour movie, which is not ideal neither. No, right? no, we don't want. Yeah, no, I really, I agree with you. I enjoyed both sides, but I do feel like either I wish there was a little bit more like story wise, like, mm-hmm. like cohesion. Yeah, because um, there's definitely yeah. a lot more that um, Court Jefferson could have skewered about publishing, like influencer <laughs> culture, and like I definitely wanted to see more of um, maybe not the consequences of his actions, but like the the way that the industry will bend over backwards for a book that they think people want because it's stereotypical, right? Yeah, yeah. I do feel like, and I don't, I don't want to go in spoiler territory or anything, but I, I did also feel like the. I don't know if the third act or how he, you know, the denouement, mm-hmm. so to speak, um, works fully um, just because you basically are aware of it and call it out doesn't, for, for me, doesn't mean you can also just use that. Um, it does feel a, a little out. abrupt. It reminded me of yes. Adaptation, which is the... Um, yeah, the, the Charlie Kaufman film um, starring Nicolas Cage. That's like the adaptation of like an unadaptable book. Um, like the ending got a little, a little too pretentious up its own. But yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, I mean, maybe that was the point. I mean, I'm sure there's some like some artistic reason for it. But I was left a little unsatisfied with the way it ended. Mm. Yes, which might have been his intention. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, but- I was fine with it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was part of his intention, but but and and some of it I can forgive because, you know, we he also breaks structural rules in that like you know we're not getting a, a like a clean ending, right? Like we're not in American storytelling. A lot of it is like just rewards, especially yeah. in movies. So like we don't necessarily get that like clean structural that we I think a lot of movie, at least Western moviegoers expect. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of things that are not wrapped yeah. up, right? But. The funny thing is, I kind of feel like so. I don't think it's a spoiler because it you probably won't get it unless like you watch the film. But mm-hmm. I thought the first ending was fine. If I, they just ended it like the first ending, I would have been cool with it. Yeah. Like, I does mean, it get a little too twee once we get into like the like <laughs> meta ness of the last? Of a the little last bit, few but I mean, the film does go meta throughout too. Like, there's a really great scene in the middle of the, in the middle of the film that depicts um, Jeffrey Wright's character Monk writing his satire story and then that's when you get the keith david cameo um mm-hmm. and like we see like the characters acting out their scenes in front of him as he types yes i think that was a really creative visualization because writing is not fun to watch like <laughs> it's it's not fun but you know if you get keith david and oak from hamilton <laughs> to vocalize your characters um it's it's very entertaining and kind of just shows how ridiculous it is right yeah um the eye patch really gets me <laughs> and like i mentioned I, I also really really like the family drama side and that could have been its own movie too with the writing career stuff on the side because this is a like like you mentioned just this is like a pretty actually well done like story of a well-to-do family yes, in crisis it is it is textbook like <laughs> and i mean that in a positive way it is like textbook like fucked up family by the seat cheating dad you know mental illness deteriorating health like sibling like fucked up sibling dynamics eldest um, daughter who kept the eldest, family together you know took care of the mom know, housekeeper. i can't believe they fridged tracy ellis ross that was surprising because she had like second billing the, uh, like, the book after worse let's just say so oh, oh my god okay yeah they gave her so, some dignity here yeah, and she get you know the her 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 letter like her farewell letter is very oh, oh very funny. <laughs> oh my god! Um, so and good. then and then you know getting the little comedy of like their shitty neighbor like coming <laughs> through and they're just like fuck off like get the fuck out of here like yeah so I thought you know some parts like when it when the comedy was like grounded in like a reality it really really worked. There were some parts I felt were like oh this is a different movie, but overall like yeah it was. Good job, Court Jefferson, like directing debut. I mean, I've seen like family members have to deal with elders starting to, you know, lose a step, right? Mm -hmm. And those conversations aren't fun and it kind of changes 
like it, everything changes at that moment. Yeah, and to... and that includes the dynamic between the siblings because it's kind of like, well, why don't you take care of? It's like I don't have any money. <laughs> I'm just like, oh man! And since I am the one sister with two brothers, I am feeling this. So... Oh, good yeah. luck. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really well done. And he crammed a lot into a movie under two hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I shall allow it. You know, I didn't feel the length. Like sometimes no. with yes, a two-hour movie, you feel, feel the, the length. length. But this exactly. one, yeah. Um, I did feel like, like I mentioned, I did feel the ending was a little abrupt. Um, so like, I kind of wish he had a little bit more time to like, to like fl- really flesh that out. But other than that, like the movie flew by. It's just the acting's great, the writing's great. Like it's just, I don't know if this says anything, but it's been a while since I've watched a like good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, a movie for adults. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like catered to a very specific vision and viewpoint to tell a story rather than something that feels like it was like generated by like data and like visual effects in some office right like this is something that you know he i know core jefferson like chose to adapt this book and to write it um so it wasn't something that just like came across his desk or he was asked to like pitch for like he conceptualized this from the beginning (laughs) all right so before we call it a discussion um gotta ask is american fiction good pop Yes, more interesting movies for adults with amazing casts that don't usually get to play this hard. Yes, please. <laughs> um, yeah, agreed. Uh, it's it's also just besides very very smart and just well put together, well acted, actually funny. That's the thing. Yes. It's like when you are trying to make a comedy with smart jokes, sometimes those can fall flat or feel forced. All of these just felt just spot on. Um, I, I I think maybe they did a laugh test. I don't know what it is, but like it actually really worked for me. So, yeah, good. Good job. Good watch. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I also think like thematically, like, you know, this is like a this is like an upper elective class. Like this is the upper elective class. <laughs> take on like rep rep sweats like are selling out like like we're, we're asking more interesting questions or he's asking more interesting questions and it's it's not like the obvious like 101 which i like yeah definitely think it's also good pop um love that it's like you said it's you know it's asking questions like who not only who gets to tell our stories but who's allowed to tell our stories and what stories are they themselves allowed to tell um by the industry at large and these are all questions that we we all run up against if you work in this industry um or just live in this world as like as underrepresented people so like i definitely enjoyed this film a lot um yeah definitely like like you mentioned how like the laughs per minute like we're we're pretty consistent like you know, in between some of these sad scenes and dramatic scenes, there's a lot of comedy going on that was really well done and um, really, really enjoyed this film. Um want to ask you guys, since um, you've watched more of the Best Picture nominations than I have, um, how, does this, <laughs> how does this rate currently in your like Oscar pool? I still have some significant titles I still need to watch, um, but I think it's still in the upper half for me. As someone who thought barbie was good but didn't love it as much as everyone else um yes i know i sound like a very bad feminist um so <laughs> that would not probably have ever been in my top um i also appreciate the work that went into oppenheimer um but again not as in love with it as other people are uh probably for me my tops so far have been poor things in past lives um, but I still have yet to watch Holdovers, Zone of Interest, um, Anatomy of, Fa- of a Fall, which I feel those three might appeal to me. So we'll we'll see. But yeah, I think this is still up there among them. I will not watch Colors of the Flower Moon, though. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely. I mean, I don't think just from like the following the campaign news, like it, it doesn't really have a chance to win Best Picture. But personally... It's probably just personal preference kind of up there, but like very, very explicitly, like I have no plans to watch like the great white man, you know, opines on his choices movies. Like that's that's not my vibe. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to watch Maestro, I don't think. (laughs) I'm probably not going to watch Maestro. 
Um, I mean, I respect past lives. I can recognize its technical mm-hmm. merits, but like thematically, I'm also like a little like I, I, I think it's it. They did it, in my opinion, like I didn't because it was sold to me as like a love story. And I don't see it as like a love story. It's like colored my impression of it. Poor things. I think I compare it to other Yorgos films, so it's hard for me to like say it's a top because he's done better, which is not not fair, and that's not the question you're asking. So, like, actually, preference wise, I just think it's one of the more interesting films, yeah. Um, in in the race right now, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I don't think I'm gonna watch the Nazi reality show movie. That sounds like a cow bummer. <laughs> <laughs> I I also, by the way, I'm just saying about preference, not what I think is gonna win. Because what's going to win is probably something like Oppenheimer. So, um, yes. Yeah. Which is like, okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the prediction well, of what should win and what will win is totally different. <laughs> yes. Well, currently, this is one of my favorites in the list. But again, that's I personal. think it will maintain that spot no matter what. <laughs> Although I hear great things about holdovers. So I will check that out. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, that'll do it for this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, Jess Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? I am on Twitter at Just You Tweets. And I am at Hanonymous at all the handles. <laughs> you can find me at Marvin Yue on Instagram and Twitter. You can find our show at goodpop.club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Um, check out our fellow Asian American podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, thanks for listening to Good Pop, and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Life gets a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, a full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.